Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for joining the Urge Senate Wantcast. Uh, this afternoon, we have with us Greek Ambassador uh, Demetrius Sikoros. Uh, he has an extensive diplomatic career and served as an ambassador in multiple posts. He received a summa cum laude degree from the Law School of Athens in 1972, of which he was valedictorian. He has a BA in Political Science from the University of Athens, an MA in Political Science from the University of New Orleans, and an MA in History from the University of New Orleans, as well as a PhD in International Law from the University of Cologne. He also notably studied for a period of time uh, for a PhD in International Relations at American University School of International Service. However, uh, because of his embassy position as well, he was not able to complete that. He has identified his desire to work in diplomacy early in his life and um, pursued that career for several decades. He speaks five languages uh, because while English and French are mandatory for the diplomatic service, he also learned Italian and German for good measure. His postings have included Germany, United Nations, New York, Indonesia, and Iran. As consul in New Orleans, he established the Center for Greek Studies at the University of Florida uh, with assistance uh, from the university as well as the embassy. After serving as the first secretary at the Greek embassy in, Was in Washington, DC, he served four years as a faculty advisor at the NATO Defense College in Rome. Following that, he returned home to Greece uh, shortly before serving as, as an ambassador to Belgium, Iran, uh, and Indonesia. For that post, he was concurrently accredited to Malaysia, Brunei, and Timor-Leste. He retired from the di diplomatic service in 2010 and works in a, a U.S. law firm as a foreign affairs advisor. He has received the titles of Commander of Order, Commander of the Order of Phoenix from, Gre from Greece, and Commander of, Commander of the Order of Merit of the Italian Republic from Italy. He has uh, been active in several business development projects, including uh, signing an economic cooperation agreement with Arkansas Governor uh, Asa Hutchinson and the president of Dong Nai province in Vietnam. Ambassador Sakuris, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me and congratulations for what you're doing. Uh, thank you very much and thank you for being here. Uh, so our intention today, rather than to discuss a specific uh, part of foreign policy, is to just uh, talk with you about diplomacy and anything that uh, we and our listeners can learn from your highly impressive career. So Cole, would you like to start us off with the first question? Yes, Ambassador, my question to you is a bit more general based on um, the history of Greece and uh, Russia with the cultural connection between uh, Russia and uh, Greece through the ancient Eastern Roman Empire, also known as Byzantines. Um, do you believe that that kind of cultural connection can actually foster closer ties between modern Russia and modern Greece? Well, uh, let's start from where this relationship originates. It is at the end of the 10th century when two uh, monks are sent by the then emperor of, of Byzantium. The two monks are Methodius and Kyrillus, are sent to give two things to the Slavs, the Orthodox religion, but most importantly, the language. Uh, we call it Cyrillic alphabet, and we forget at times that the word comes out of the name of the one of the two monks, Cyrilos, Cyril. So yes, there is a link, a cultural link, uh, which is based on these two facts, the Orthodox Christian religion and the alphabet. If you look at the Russian alphabet, most of the letters are not very far from the uh, Greek alphabet. Um, these two elements can foster, yes, indeed, can 
can be the basis, but uh, experience has shown that more than that is needed in order to achieve a close relationship between countries. I could elaborate if you want on this. <laughs> in other words, um, as you know, we belong to two different systems. Greece is part of the NATO alliance since 1953. As you know, NATO was established. Uh, the treaty was signed on April 4th, 1949. So Greece is a member of the NATO alliance since 1953. Uh, obviously, uh, Russia is on, a, on another set of ideas. Uh, that's what I mean that the two elements are very good elements, the authority religion and the language, but more is needed. And uh, in this respect, we obviously um, belong to uh, different systems. I mean, Greece and Russia. And building off of that, do you think there's any uh, opportunities that there are to bridge those systems, be it economics or sport or language and culture as uh, Cole brought up? Yeah. Let me say before answering your question that one advantage of a retired diplomat as I am, because as you pointed out, I'm a retired diplomat since 2010, is that I can speak freely my mind as a, as a citizen uh, of the world not bound by a service to which I was uh, an employee in the past. So what you hear now is the opinions of a former diplomat. Uh, and obviously these are colored by my personal opinions. Now you're asking me again, whether this, uh, would, you, would you phrase your question again, please? Would uh, you repeat? So you, you, you noted the, the governmental and system differences that are vast between the, yeah. the NATO countries and Russia. And I was wondering if there are opportunities to bridge that, bridge those differences, either at the governmental level or people to people. Of course, of course, there are opportunities and it could be either of government to government or people to people. But there are some basic principles that need to be respected in order for this to be achieved. And... Um, Unfortunately, we've seen time and again that it's not always that those principles are, are, are respected uh, when we come uh, within the uh, Moscow system, within you know, the Moscow orbit. But yes, it, it could be, it could be a, a personal initiative of the uh, major leaders, let's say President Biden, uh, President Putin may take an initiative to sit down and work out differences, but I would be surprised if some basic principles are not respected first from the part of, uh, of Russia. Thank you. So Ambassador, since you were talking about Russia and uh, NATO, obviously the history and I guess somewhat current conflicts between two NATO allies of Greece and Turkey, um, not only in the Aegean, but also in um, Cyprus, do you believe that that conflict or maybe not con maybe conflicts, but too strong of a word, but that a situation between the two countries could be a serious divide in the NATO alliance that Russia could exploit? Hmm. Let's go first and see 
the roots of the friction you mentioned. Here we have two NATO allies. By the way, they both joined at the same time. In 1953, both and, and Greece joined NATO. And uh, one basic principle of the NATO alliance, Article 5, is that um, um, you know, uh, we will intervene when a NATO country is attacked, right? Okay. What happens if a NATO country is attacked by another NATO country? Ah, very interesting. Then we sit on the fence. It is very interesting that just four days ago, no, five days ago, on the 20th of July, five days ago, a major event has happened. And surprisingly, we had nothing about it. What was that? I bet you, you don't know. Okay, well, let me tell you. On July 20th, is, uh, it is the anniversary, you know, July 20th, 1974, Turkey invaded and occupied 38% of the uh, island of Cyprus. And there is condemnation after, you're aware of that, I suppose, right? Okay. And as a result, there have been repeated condemnations, Security Council resolutions, one after the other, and nobody has recognized the occupied part, right? Except for Turkey, of course. So here we have one country claiming that this part, which was pro proclaimed self-independent, uh, and, and President Erdogan, as you know, visits on the anniversary, July 20th, Varosha, which is a secluded area. These are, these are properties there that belong to, uh, uh, to the Greek Cypriots. So surprisingly, nothing is heard. I mean, I would be surprised if you show me something in the New York Times or in the uh, BBC. I, I, I listen every day to various sources of news, Journal Radio, ZDF in German, France Inter, uh, World Service. I was surprised. I didn't hear anything about it. There was a Security Council resolution that came out yesterday. It took a long time to have this resolution. For four days they were debating and the initial draft, the initial draft, believe it or not, would not name who did that. I repeat, the initial draft was not naming the aggressor. The final draft that was adopted yesterday but the Security Council does name the address, the Turkey, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But here we have a case where an, a, a member state of the European Union, a member state of the European Union is physically attacked. And what is the reaction? For the time being, we have a Security Council resolution. And now you're asking me, would that be a way for Russia to exploit the fact that is that your question, right? Uh, would it be a, a, an opportunity for Russia to exploit the fact that um, nothing has been done in order to uh, make a divide between... Uh, uh, well, as you know, the Security Council resolutions are taken by all permanent members. And one of them uh, is, uh, of course... Um, I would rather turn the question to, rather than 
searching, oh, what is Russia going to do to exploit the, the, the friction between the two parts? I would rather turn the question to the, why there is this inactivity between NATO members and between European Union members, as a matter of fact. Inactivity, in lack of measures. It is obviously the lack of measures that gives the audacity or encourages within, uh, you know, uh, quotes and quotes, uh, the aggressor. We have a policy of, uh, you know, uh, the Italians call it salami policy, little by little, little by little, you achieve more. And here you have a case where in the end, the very system that we built coming into question. We set up a United Nations system much better than the previous one, League of Nations. But, 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 but the, 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 the essence, the Security Council resolutions are not respected. So we need, if we want to live up to the principles that those systems were set upon, I mean, the United Nations, we need to reflect and realize that if we sit by, if we sit back and just look on, be it on the private sector, be it as a government to government and look and do nothing, then worse will come. You need to remember that a year ago, a year ago, Greece and Turkey came almost to war. Why? Because Turkey sends her ships to drill in areas, continental shelf, that belong to Greece. And if I may say so very quickly, why is that? As you know, there is a law of the sea that provides Article 2 that islands have continental shelves. What is continental shelf? Do you understand what continental shelf is? Yeah, yeah the continent. Yes, sir. Okay, but for our audience, let me explain. The continental shelf starts where the territorial waters end. Usually territorial waters go up to 12 miles or six miles. Okay, so when we finish with our territorial waters, then we'll go down and we we'll reach the bottom. The bottom of the sea is the continental shelf. The bottom of the sea, not the water above, which is the economic zone. The bottom of the sea is the, is the continental shelf. And it starts where the territorial waters end. So here comes Turkey and say, ah, islands have no continental shelf. Really? The law of the treaty provides article two, paragraph two that the law, the, the islands have continental shelf exactly as the mainland has. Turkey is not a signatory to the treaty and says, oh, well, I have not signed the treaty, I'm not bound by it. Really? Hmm. And the answer to it is, the law of the sea, which was first codified in 1958 in Geneva, did nothing else but taking, I mean, this provision that islands have continental shelf, which is now legelata in Latin, which is now written law, is customary law that was taken into, into written law. 
In other words, up to 1958, customary law provided that islands have continental shelf. Then in 1958, with the Convention of 58, which was again done in 82 at Montego Bay, we took this customary law into written law. And why is it important? Because customary law is bounding on all nations. So the argument by Turkey, you know, I haven't signed the treaty, so I'm not bound by it. Yes, you have not signed the treaty, but this treaty put into black and white customary law and a basic principle of international law is that all countries are bound by uh, customary law. So I was saying that last year we almost came to war for that reason, and it was the help from uh, the United States, the help of France, they showed the flag that refrained President Erdogan from going further. But the basic principle that we need to understand, and we have seen this time and again in the history of, of humanity, if we go by the law of might, we will end up having war. If we pretend to be civilized nations and we go by international law, we may solve our differences. And Greece always invited Turkey to solve the only one and nothing else difference we have, which concerns this question of the continental self, to take this case to the Hague. As you know, at the Hague, there is the International Court of Justice. This has not been accepted by Turkey. And Turkey says, oh no, let's discuss it bilaterally. The two of us, let's sit down, Greece and Turkey, and discuss it bilaterally. Why Turkey is doing this? Bilaterally, it's easier to put you down. If I go by international law, then I have to abide by rules that I can predict what they will say. Obviously, we do not accept this bilateral. I say we as, as a Greek citizen, we do not accept this bilateral situation. Now, where this is going to lead, I think we need to sit down. You young students of international law, of uh, international relations, and think, as Herodotus has said, history repeats itself. We've seen this in the past. Uh, in 1933, January 30th, Hitler acquired power legally. Kinderburg, the president, legally. But then we saw where we ended up. So by this, what I'm trying to say is that we cannot go by the law of the might, but we should be going as international civilized society through dialogue. Huh? But Turkey <laughs> you know, acts in the sense like, Hey, this piece of land is mine. But I'm sorry, this is my, my house. Oh, okay, let's sit down and discuss it. Okay, I give you a basic principle. Unfortunately, this is what happens now with property of many, many Cypriots that have been, uh, you know, they lost their property. And now, what is the ploy? And I finish with this. President Erdogan has said, okay, any, any Greek Cypriot that has lost his house and has left is welcome to come back and apply to the commission that I'm setting up within this illegal entity. And, the, and this, this, the court will decide and perhaps they will give why he's doing that. Because if the Greek Cypriots 
that are homeless make a petition, and some of them have done so. Make a, they are recognizing an entity that does not exist. So he's seeking through, through dubious means recognition, exploiting the need of the people who lost their own houses and homes. I end by concluding that this should be an item in the news. But unless you have seen it, and I doubt it, I didn't see any item, even briefly referring to the fact that Erdogan has stated practically another coup d'etat by appearing himself, the president of Turkey, went himself on July 20th to Varosha, to the uh, area which is uh, you know, closed, and he opened 3.5%. I repeat, he opened three, three and a half to be given back to Greek Cypriots who will apply to this illegal commission court that will decide what happens with the property. It, it's, a, it's a bad state of affairs if the man in the street does not know about these things. But we didn't see much in the news about it. And we'll, we'll see what happens next. But this is a major, a major problem. Um, within NATO, but NATO is sitting on the fence. When it comes to the, to the friction, why there is a friction? I didn't provoke the friction, I'm talking me, Greece. But when you have, I'll give you this example. When I was serving in Washington DC as first secretary, 1985, I'm in a reception. I will give you a, a good example of what I mean. I was at a reception and I met with the then Turkish ambassador, Elekta, a big ambassador, famous name, secretary general in the past. And he asked me politely, uh, let me ask you, not as a diplomat, but as a Turk to Greek, what can we do, we Turks, in order to improve relations with Greece? I said, Your Excellency, you're honoring me, honoring me a fully-fledged ambassador asking a mid-career diplomat like me, a first secretary, such a question. But since you are asking me as a Turk to a Greek, the answer is obvious. I said, when I'm on the island of Samos, Samos is an island very close to the Turkish coastland. When I'm on the island of Samos, we look at those landing vessels we have. And we know the exact number in those days, 120. Why do you have landing vessels? Landing vessels, are you preparing for a landing somewhere? So you have landing vessels that do not belong to the NATO infrastructure. They belong to the, you call it, 4th Aegean Army. So you have set up the 4th Aegean Army, which is not within NATO, for what purpose? Landing vessels? So since you're asking me, a good idea would be scrap that 4th Aegean Army, which is not a NATO thing, and do away with your landing vessels. Ah, and then Turkey comes and even to this day says, oh, you have to demilitarize the island because the Treaty of Geneva, the Treaty of Lausanne of uh, 1923 provides that uh, Samos and the vicinity islands should be demilitarized. And the answer from Greece is that first comes 
Article 51 of the United Nations, the legitimate defense. When you see all those landing vessels that they are there as we talk now, what is Greece going to do? Sit by and look as it happens in Cyprus? So they are militarized in exercising the right of legitimate defense of Article 51. Scrap your landing vessels, we may think about the militarization. These are serious, serious, since you bring the discussion to the friction between Greece and Turkey, it's not a friction caused by Greece. And I'm talking not as a career diplomat that I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a citizen of the world, I'm, I'm a retired diplomat and I speak my mind. It's, it's a major problem because in the end, it shows that NATO is, 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 is not doing what it's supposed to do. NATO is there to protect us from an enemy. Excuse me. So NATO is there to protect us from an enemy. And I said, what about the interior, the enemy from within? Ah, then they sit on the fence. And uh, it's, it's a mentality of uh, what I call, uh, you know, civil, civil servant. Um, NATO should, and, and, and not only, should, uh, should go to the principles of the, of the you know, I said, I said for four, four and a half beautiful years at the NATO Defense College, the NATO Defense College was established at the inspiration of Dwight Eisenhower. President Eisenhower in 1951 set it up in Paris. Then it moved to Rome when the French in 66, 1966, moved out of the military side of the alliance because the college comes out of the, comes under the auspices of the uh, supervision rather of the military side of the, of the alliance. But one of the, of the basic principles at the college was exactly this one, dialogue get to learn the problems of each other, understand, go to the roots. I am on the leadership council of an institute based in Washington, DC, Sustained Dialogue Institute, it is called. The aim of this institute, which was set up by the man who set up the Camp David Accords under President Carter. What is the aim of the institute? To go to the roots, of the friction before the friction erupts into a conflict. That should be the real work of diplomats of NATO. What is, the, what, what, what is your problem talking Greece and Turkey? You want expansion? You want revision? Ah, in 2016, for the first time, President Erdogan, October 2016, started a song that he sings every other day now. The song goes like this. We need to revise the Treaty of Lausanne. Wow, really? We need to revise the Treaty of Lausanne. Signed July 24th, 1923. That treaty was signed not only by Greece and Turkey, but, but many other countries. Even Japan is a signatory to the, to the treaty. Now, Erdogan comes and says, we need to revise the treaty. And he speaks of uh, lands that are into our hearts. Obviously references to countries that used to be part of the Ottoman Empire. 
But here you have a serious thing, someone challenging the status quo, revising the Treaty of Lausanne of 1923. That was the first time heard in 2016, and we hear it repeatedly ever since. So perhaps I'm touching, not perhaps, for sure I'm touching on questions that are not known to your audience, perhaps even to you, because we don't see them in the news every day. The fact, and I will end with this, the mere fact that every day, practically every day, there are violations of the Greek airspace means, I repeat, on a practically on a, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis, we have violations of the Greek airspace, which means that Turkish fighters will fly literally over Greek land, over Greek islands without permission. Is that allowed within NATO rules? Why NATO is not reacting? The fact is that Greece has to react because if Greece does not react, then we have something, you know, uh, some, something will be established by non-reaction. <laughs> so on a, on, a, on a daily basis, Greece has to pay me as a Greek taxpayer a lot of money and we have and I gladly paid. Why? Because Greek fighters have to take off immediately the moment the violations are taking place to intercept them. Okay, so millions are spent for interceptions, but there is no other way, unfortunately, that we can react because the only language experience has shown that Turkey understands is the language of might. And is not very happy with the language of international law as we would be. We would be very happy not to have to buy yesterday, the Greek Minister of Defense was in Paris to take physical reception of the first uh, of the first of 18 airplanes that uh, Greece has bought from France, Mirage type, in addition to the uh, American ones we have. Why the Greek taxpayers, wouldn't it be better to build hospitals to do something else, you know, more beneficial. We have to do this if we want to be alive. And one thing I will end up now, which is very, very fortunate, is now Greece has the three plus one cooperation. The three mean Israel, Greece, Cyprus, plus one, the United States. There is an excellent cooperation in this framework. And this is something which is upsetting our NATO ally Turkey. As you know, Relations between Israel and, and Turkey are not the best for very many reasons. <laughs> and the fact that we are at the best ever of relations we had with our friends uh, in Israel is upsetting the Turks, but this is how uh, our system is working now. Three plus one, Cyprus, Israel, Greece, and the third one, uh, three plus one uh, the US. I gave you a, a bird's eye view of the situation. Excuse me, I mean, I have to take this call. Just in there. Sorry about that.
Uh, you know, it's interesting though that you touch on questions that may not know for the reasons I explained to the larger audience, but unless we have knowledge of facts, we cannot form decisions. Uh, so this is a major problem within the alliance, the relationship between Greece and Turkey. And let's see, experience has shown that with NATO sitting on the fence, nothing is solved. The problem is that as Thucydides first described, you know, the law of the might, the famous the famous dialogue between the Athenians and the Millians, 416, where the Millians, the inhabitants of the islands of Milos, tell the famous phrase to the Athenians, who are not afraid of your enmity, who are afraid of your friendship. And unfortunately, might prevailed in the Athenians in the, middle, in the middle of the Peloponnesian War, the 30-year war from 431 to 404, the Athenians went by the law of the might and they butchered 416. They butchered the millions. That is a very vivid description of it by Thucydides. So what I'm trying to say is that, and I conclude with this, we need to pay more respect to international law that guides our steps and not go by might. We've seen what happens in the past when we follow the rule of the might. However, Greece follows the Roman axiom, sevis pacem, parabellum. If you want peace, prepare for war. Other questions, more pleasant. <laughs> uh, thank you for your, I was personally unaware of Erdogan's visit. Um, and as, as you noted, I, I did a search. There was not much news coverage of it. And I looked for the uh, for news of Erdogan's uh, Erdogan's visit, and there was not much. There was a, an article or two on Reuters, um, but there was another incident uh, last year. Um, the, as you noticed, Greece and uh, allies. Uh, a French vessel uh, was saying, sailing in the Aegean, and a, a Turkish vessel opened up their their fire control radar on it. Yes, uh, and yes. I was surprised. That was, how, that I was surprised was how little coverage there was of that, and the news yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, that was the case exactly as you described. I I am not uh, in possession of of classified NATO documents on ship ship engagements, but to my understanding, that is. Not uh, allowed in the alliance. That was more classified. That was on all newspapers and everyday news. <laughs> oh, I meant I meant the um, the the guidelines on on NATO vessel to vessel interactions. Uh -huh. yeah. But it was interesting again that uh, Turkey would challenge the French vessel, which was there to uh, support uh, the situation. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions you might? I think we are actually running out of time. Uh, so I'd like to uh, thank you for, for being with us, for, for sharing your insights. I, I appreciated it, Cole. I, I hope you did as well. Thank yes, you. I learned a lot from you, Ambassador. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anytime. And again, I congratulate you. We need people like you, young students 
that go deeper into the questions that bedevil the world to examine the causes and try to find solutions for themselves or to people above them. I congratulate you for that. Thank you. And that, that's exactly what we try to do here uh, as well. And naturally, you are welcome back anytime uh, if you'd like to, to join us again in the future. Thank you, Ambassador Sikoris. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Take care, Ambassador. To Bye. our listeners uh, around the world, have a good evening, good morning, good afternoon, or good night. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Bye.